title of the sermon is A New Work. It comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Jesus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, or but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, my name is Chuck, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you uh, worshiping this morning. I, uh, I live just on the other side of the river on the west side, uh, and I'm a pastor with Redeemer Lincoln Square, so it only took about seven minutes to get here from Port Authority, so uh, it was a great, better commute than in the city, so uh, thank you for having me. Uh, one of the great things, as, as I read this scripture, as I hear this scripture read to us, uh, I'm reminded that one of the great things of the Bible is that we get to learn so much about Jesus. And not just through his teachings or his parables, but actually through interactions and relationships with those around him, how he talks to other people, how he treats them. Throughout the Gospels, we see how Jesus treats everyone in this society, from those who are in power, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to the weakest of his community. And in every community, we see the truth and the love of Jesus on full display. Now, though these kinds of interactions are discussed in all of the Gospels, the book of Luke is especially noteworthy because of its exploration of different classes of types of people, all with the emphasis of Jesus seeking and saving the lost. In this morning's passage here in Luke 19, we not only get to see the love of Jesus Christ in action, but we also get to see the lasting effects of it. And in this particular story, we get to see those lasting effects as it relates to Zacchaeus. And not just Zacchaeus as a person, but as it relates to Zacchaeus's vocation or his career. In this story of Zacchaeus, I think we actually get an incredibly moving blueprint for the importance of work. And it's all conveyed through the interaction Jesus has with Zacchaeus. This isn't a parable. Jesus isn't telling a story. This is an actual event that took place. And I think because of that, this story is significant, not just if you're here this morning and uh, you consider yourself a Christian or uh, regardless of where you're at in your faith or what you might believe, because the truth is, I think, in one way or another, we all struggle with work. Whether we have our dream job, whether we're unemployed, whether we're just plugging away at a nine-to-five to make ends meet, whether we're taking care of our family, whether we have hobbies and passions that we try to fulfill on the side. Work or vocation or career, whatever you want to call it, work is and always has been a part of our world. 
And so by looking at the story, I think we begin to get a sense for what work means in a bigger discussion of faith, in the bigger discussion of what it means to be a Christian, in the bigger discussion of what it means to be in relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. So to talk about this, I want to just briefly look at a couple of points this morning. The first is who Zacchaeus is when he meets Jesus, and the second is what Zacchaeus does after he meets Jesus. Who Zacchaeus is when he meets Jesus and what Zacchaeus does after he meets Jesus. So first, who Zacchaeus is. We're, we're told almost right away, quite literally, who Zacchaeus is. Verse 2 of our passage, we're told that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And we're also told in verse 3 that he was short. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, he was rich, and he was short. Now this is pretty descriptive. Uh, it's one of the more descriptive stories that we get in the Gospels. We get a name, we get a profession, uh, we get a status, and we also get a physical description. It's a pretty clear illustration of who Zacchaeus is. So let's walk through each one of these to see if they mean something more than just describing Zacchaeus. First, he's, he's a chief tax collector. Now, to be a chief tax collector in the first century would have meant that you worked for the Roman government. And the Roman government in the first century was an oppressive, conquering government that was well known for its imperialistic rule. And on top of that, if you're a tax collector, it meant that you were likely greedy well known yourself that when you came around to collect a citizen's taxes, you'd charge them more than they were expected to pay, all so you could keep the difference. So you worked for a greedy and oppressive government, and you were greedy and oppressive yourself. To put it succinctly, you were hated. Everyone hated you because nobody could trust you, and nobody could trust the government that you worked for. This is who Zacchaeus was. He was a chief tax collector. And on top of that, we're told that he was rich. We're told he was wealthy in the same breath that we're told he was a tax collector. Now, I don't think there's any need to read more into this other than uh, just assuming exactly what you think it is. It shows us that Zacchaeus had a status of a rich man in his society, and it was no doubt connected to his vocation of being a chief tax collector. His wealth was not disconnected from his job. And on top of all this, Zacchaeus was short. Now, it might be easy to read this passage and kind of just gloss over that, uh, but it's actually a really important detail about Zacchaeus. This was a rich, short man who most everyone hated. Hardly anybody trusted him. Now, if you can, put yourself in his shoes. You have all this money, you have all this status, and you probably feel incredibly alone because nobody trusts you. Everyone despises you. Nobody wants to talk to you. When they see you coming, they look the other way. And if that wasn't enough, in this story of Zacchaeus, Luke decides to include the detail of you being short. Now this is important because this isn't just a snapshot of Zacchaeus, but it actually leads to the next event in the story. So first we get this pretty descriptive image of Zacchaeus, and then what are we told? We're told that he came into this crowd in Jericho because he wanted to see Jesus. And because of his lack of height, he had to climb a tree 
just to get a peek of Jesus. Now, what comes to mind when you think of someone climbing a tree? For me, uh, often it's a picture of young innocence, of a child discovering something new, of letting their imagination run wild, no sense of failing, definitely no sense of what others think. But it's also not a very graceful act, right? If you've ever climbed a tree, you know that it's rarely a pretty process. Your foot might slip, you're going to get scratched up, probably rip a hole in your jeans or your shirt, and chances are, if you're like me, you'll probably even fall. Now consider all of that as you think about Zacchaeus, a rich government worker climbing a tree in the midst of a large crowd, a crowd filled with people who hated you. It would have been a humbling experience for sure. And many would have looked at him and thought, what in the world is this guy doing? But none of that kept Zacchaeus from doing everything he could just to get a peek of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus likely struggled with pride. He's a rich man, took advantage of people. He probably struggled with pride. He probably struggled with his own view of his self. And climbing a tree would only draw more negative attention to him. But he didn't care. This is who Zacchaeus was in this very moment. He was a man whose society hated, a man who was wealthy, but was still probably considered an outcast, who probably had no community around him, no friends who could even trust him, and he probably couldn't even trust the other people he worked with, all because of who they worked for. But how does Jesus treat this man? Now, Jesus could have pointed at him and laughed. It's probably what some people in the crowd did. Jesus could have pointed at him and riled up the crowd to pull him down and get their revenge on him. He took advantage of them. Now he's somewhat insecure up in a tree. Jesus could have kept his head down as he passed through this large crowd, as he passed through Jericho. He could have avoided him, pretended like he didn't see him, but he doesn't do any of that. What does he do? In verse 5, Jesus gets to the tree. He looks up at Zacchaeus. And he says, come down. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. And here is Jesus coming to him, acknowledging him, and saying that he wants to stay with him in his house. And Zacchaeus hears him and does what he says. You see, Zacchaeus was actively pursuing Jesus the only way that he knew how. He just knew that he needed to see Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't let his height or his feelings or what other people thought of him from keeping him from seeing Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ welcomed him with open arms. Jesus looks at this tax collector, this man everyone hated, and he says, come down, I want to spend time with you. Zacchaeus looked for Jesus and Jesus received him. But that's not the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, it'd be a nice and happy ending. Everything uh, would feel good, right? But that's not what happens. Zacchaeus reaches out for Jesus. Jesus receives him with love and trust, uh, something that Zacchaeus probably hasn't felt for a long, long time. And how does the crowd respond? The crowd looks at what is happening. The crowd sees and hears what Jesus did, walking up up to the tree and what he said to, to Zacchaeus. And they start to grumble. 
They start to mutter under their breath. It doesn't take long for them to look at what happened and to say, He, Jesus Christ, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The crowd scoffs at Jesus. How could Jesus Christ ask to go to Zacchaeus' house? Zacchaeus was a sinner. Everyone hated him, and everyone knew this. Why in the world would Jesus even want to be associated with him, much less receive him joyfully and go have dinner with him and be a guest at his house? And then what happens? Zacchaeus hears that grumbling. He hears the crowd call him a sinner, and he turns to Jesus Christ, and we get to our second point this morning. So I think we have a clear sense of who Zacchaeus is, who he is when he meets Jesus. And now we see what happens, what Zacchaeus does after he meets Jesus. So Zacchaeus hears Jesus, he hears the crowd, and what does he do? In verse 8, Zacchaeus is out of the tree, he looks at Jesus, and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now what's so fascinating here as I've read through this, as I've spent time on this over the last couple of weeks, is that Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his life. Zacchaeus simply climbed a tree to get a look at Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't invite him to his house. Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his life. But Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. And because of Jesus' love for Zacchaeus, love that far outpowered any of the emotion of the crowd or the love that Zacchaeus had for his own wealth and status, because of that love, we see a change in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus says, look. Look, Lord. Now, our translation of this verse doesn't quite do uh, that justice. It doesn't quite get across what, uh, the significance of what Zacchaeus is saying. Now, we can read look and just blow right past it. We say that all the time. Uh, and we, so we probably don't think much of it. But the original Greek word used here uh, is best translated as behold. Now, I don't know how often you say behold. I don't say it that often. And when you dive into behold, it really means pay attention with an exclamation point. Pay attention. Zacchaeus is so changed that he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, pay attention. You need to listen to me right now. This is how I've changed. And then we see that change. And usually this is where sermons go. If you've ever heard this text preached on, uh, this is where sermons really find the meat in this passage in Zacchaeus's change. And it's not incorrect. We should focus on this change. We should focus on the new heart, this new generosity that Zacchaeus embodies, the fact that he admits he took advantage of people and that he's going to do everything he can to reconcile those relationships. We should focus on that this man, this wealthy man, gives away half of his possessions. This is important and we can't dismiss it. We should remind ourselves of this radical generosity constantly. This story tells us the power of God's grace. Not only does God's grace come based on nothing we've done or accomplished, but when it comes, it changes us. The grace and love of Jesus Christ radically changed Zacchaeus. It changed his attitude and it reordered his desires. But what else does it do? Does it do? We see this radical generosity. We see this change in Zacchaeus. But what else does it do? 
What else does the grace and love of Jesus Christ in this story do? I think if you read through it again, if you meditate on it, if you pray through it, you will realize that the grace and love of Christ completely transforms not just Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus' vocation, his profession, his job as chief tax collector for the Roman Empire in the early first century. Jesus Christ completely redefines Zacchaeus' career in the city of Jericho. You know, Zacchaeus didn't drop everything he was doing to become a traveling disciple of Jesus Christ. He didn't quit the tax-collecting profession to go to seminary and to train to be a pastor. He remained a follower of Jesus Christ in the very job that he was in. But his heart and his motives and his allegiances were shifted toward the one who created him. He remained a tax collector, but instead of cheating his neighbors, he's now giving away his possessions to his neighbors. He's now reconciling the relationships around him. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Harlem once put it like this about this story. He said, Zacchaeus would locate God's activity through his work in the world. There is no question here that Zacchaeus' salvation would lead to a concrete impact on the local economy in his neighborhood. One can only imagine Jericho would never be the same. You see, the work of God in Zacchaeus' life was specifically found in his vocation. And it shows how important work is. Because Zacchaeus' work didn't disappear after he met Jesus. The, the job of being a tax collector didn't all of a sudden universally become perfect. But Zacchaeus' work remained while its hopes and desires and goals completely changed. They began to look more and more like the hopes and desires and goals of Jesus Christ. How might you apply this to your life today? I think of my own life. I haven't always worked for a church. Uh, in fact, for about 10 years before working for Redeemer in New York, uh, I worked in the radio world. I studied journalism in undergrad. I worked for several radio stations before moving to New York uh, about nine years ago for a gig with a, with a radio station. I remembered when I first moved here how focused I was on my job and really nothing else. I didn't have this changed heart like Zacchaeus did. I, I, I think I did. I called myself a Christian. My wife and I went to church. Uh, we were in a small group. I believed in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I knew there was nothing I could do to achieve my salvation. I could say all these things. I had this knowledge in my head. But that knowledge, that understanding, never affected my job. It wasn't until I had to climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus that I began to understand what it actually meant to be a Christian working in my vocation. I was working for a radio station in New York. In less than two years, I received a promotion that led to what I thought was my dream job that I had been wanting since I was in college. But this promotion came about uh, through the original company that I worked for uh, being bought out by another company. And they did this mass firing of people. And so all of a sudden, a job opened up simply because someone else was fired in it. It was a bloodbath. Uh, but through it, I was spared, and I received this, this job. But with this dream job came a new management and less friends that I worked with. 
in a new company, and things were just universally in the office terrible. Things were toxic, and I let myself be part of them. All of a sudden, I saw what I thought was this great job get crushed because it didn't live up to my expectations. I worked so hard. I did everything I had to do to have that perfect job, and then poof, it changed completely. And that's when I realized that my faith, my beliefs, they were completely separate from my job. I moved to New York City to prove that I could make it here. Right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in a job that's forcing me to think about layoffs and getting fired and consoling my friends who have been fired. And I'm hit with a sinking feeling that if I lost this job, I'd be crushed. My life would crumble. I'd be miserable. I'd be embarrassed. I'll never forget feeling that. Thinking that and then realizing this is where I was putting my faith. This is where I was putting my trust. This is where I was putting my salvation. I wasn't allowing myself to even climb the tree because I wasn't even thinking about getting a glimpse of Jesus. I was only focused on my job and nothing else. Whatever it took to succeed in that job, I would do. And for a while, when I faced the, the utter brokenness of this job, of the situation I was in, of the company I worked for, I tried finding rest and peace in myself. I could control the situation, I thought. I could make things better for myself by working harder, by doing this or by doing that. It wasn't until I began to slowly relinquish my own control of the situation that I began seeing the rest I needed, the guidance I needed, wasn't actually within me or within my control. It was within the relationship I had with God. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 11, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now that verse can have so much hope for us in, in, a, in a million different kinds of situations. But if you read just one more verse, verse 29 uh, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In that verse, Jesus is talking about work. His image of a yoke is directly tied to working the soil of farming, the the hardships of work in the first century. And yet, what does he say? He says, look to him. Look to his work, to the work of his father, and you will find rest. He doesn't say work harder. He doesn't say grit your teeth and bear it. He doesn't say pull yourself up. He says, look to him. That's what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus climbed that tree to look at Jesus. When I began grasping that, I began realizing that, yes, it's okay for my work to have meaning, but it's not okay for my work to be the meaning of my life. That is the story of Zacchaeus that we read in Luke 19. We know who Zacchaeus is, and we know how he changed. His faith grew, his, his love grew, and he stayed in Jericho. He stayed in his career as a chief tax collector. He learned from Jesus, and he gave his burden to Jesus so that he would no longer separate his faith from his work. He found God in his work. Jesus Christ, Christ met him where he needed to be met. Zacchaeus didn't just encounter Jesus on a Sunday morning. Christ entered into his life completely as a friend and a leader and affected every single part of his life. 
As we think about Zacchaeus finding God in his work, having the grace and love of Jesus Christ cover him in all areas of his life, as we think about our own jobs or our own responsibilities or our own hopes and dreams, let us not forget the last two verses of this passage. Because this is not just a story about Zacchaeus. It's not just a story about Jesus and Zacchaeus becoming friends, but it's a glimpse of the power of Christ, the power that we see in verses 9 and 10. Salvation has come to this house because this man, because Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save the lost, to save the people who society hated, the people who felt the most alone, the people who, even if they had money, truly had nothing in their life. Jesus Christ came to save the lost, and he did that with Zacchaeus by simply meeting him where he was and being his friend. The crowd might have laughed and scoffed at Zacchaeus, but Jesus Christ, the God of all creation, the Son of Man, didn't. Jesus looked at him, held out his hand, and said, Come down. In spite of all of Zacchaeus' flaws, in spite of all the ways that Zacchaeus treated his neighbors, in spite of all of this, when Zacchaeus climbed that tree just to see Jesus, this Jesus announced him, as an adopted son of God, as a son of Abraham. It wasn't about how much money Zacchaeus had. It wasn't about how bad of a person Zacchaeus was. It was about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And that's it. You know, if you read these verses, you'll see that Jesus' love didn't come because Zacchaeus changed. But Jesus' love is the reason that Zacchaeus changed. And what is keeping you from climbing the tree? Regardless of where you're at in in your faith today, maybe you've been a Christian your entire life, maybe you're still exploring right now. What is keeping you from climbing that tree? Think about that this week. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. Think, Think about the interaction of Jesus with this chief tax collector. And think about the change in Zacchaeus' life and heart that had to have rippled throughout the city of Jericho throughout his profession as a tax collector, throughout the entire Roman Empire. Think about that as you think about what it will take to climb that tree, to let Jesus not just enter your life on a Sunday morning or just with your other Christian friends, but what it would look like for this Jesus, this Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and save you and me. What would it look like for this Jesus to cover every area of your life, your work, your families, your free time, every area. I think we get a glimpse of what could happen in the story of Zacchaeus. May we all one day be able to look to Jesus and say, look, Lord, look at how your love, at how your grace has completely changed me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time to gather together as a body to worship you, Lord, to sing songs in praise of your name, to lift our voices to you, to turn our hearts toward you. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be with us, Lord, to live on this earth, to die on this earth, and to rise to heaven, to sit next to you also that we could call you Father. 
God, may your word rest on our hearts this week. May we understand, begin to understand what it would mean for you to enter our life, not just here, Lord, on Sunday morning, but every second of every day throughout our lives. Lord, we ask you to be with us, to keep your hand on us, to guide us toward this. And we lift all these things up to you, and we pray them in the name of this man that we read about, Jesus Christ. Amen.